Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 129. And I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me yet again today are a pair of my teammates, Peyton Burton, Phil Dexter. Fellas, what a crazy week of college basketball, both on the floor and off the floor. We're going to get into all that and more. But first, I think you all share my heartbreak here. Our Green Bay Packers got eliminated last night. Yeah. Go ahead, Phil. Just going to say, if if you can't beat the Detroit Lions at home with a playoff berth on the line, you don't deserve to be there. So that's pretty much all I got to say about it. Um, you know, just ready to move on to next season. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's bad enough that we lose to the Lions. The Lions knock us out of the playoffs on our home field. But it's also bad that I just realized last night that we got fucking swept by the Lions this year. I mean, how bad of a season have we had this year? But in, in, in all, in, We weren't great, in all fairness. Um, and this is documented, and Johnny is my witness. Johnny and I, back in August, said that this makeup of the Lions team, we thought that they were a year away. And I still think next year, they, they're probably the favorites for the NFC North. But, man, they, they overachieved this year. They're young. They're talented. Still no excuse to lose at home in Lambeau. Lambeau now in the wintertime is becoming like Rupp Arena and the fear of Kentucky. It's kind of dissipated. But sadness all around. But we're going to get over that and bring you an entertaining and an informative podcast like we always do. Speaking of as we always do, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more information. Great team over there. ECB's over there. The Road to the Garden. The House of College Hoops, folks. We're all one big collective family under House Enterprise Network. Great articles being written daily. Come out about the world of college basketball. Again, house-enterprise.com. Also, our title sponsor this year, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. They're a healthy juice bar. You guys know the deal. Good drinks for you, the teas, the protein coffees, the protein bites, everything under the sun. Stop in today and tell them ECB sent you for 10% off your entire purchase. Fellas, as I was kind of thinking about today's show and where I wanted to start, there's a couple things. By the title of, if you're watching us live here on the YouTube, the Twitter, and in the Facebook, you will see the title says episode 129, Kansas Jayhawks. Are they the best team in college basketball to that degree? But I think we have to start with the biggest story thus far in college basketball. Peyton and I covered it live last week on the YouTube. There's a video up now. Go check it out. Just type in everything college basketball. Go give us a subscribe if you haven't already. Go check out the video. We go in depth about this. The biggest story in college basketball so far this year is the firing of Chris Beard. Now, we alluded to it last month when the news kind of broke, but then it became official last week that Texas has parted with Chris Beard, the embattled head coach of the uh, the former head coach of the Texas Longhorns. Uh, Phil, I want to get your thoughts. Before you do, we talked about it in the YouTube video, but a couple stats I want to throw at you about Chris Beard and his time at Texas and everything. He finishes with a career record as of now 
171 and 73 overall at Texas in his year and a half. He went 29 and 13. He finished, obviously went out in the second round last year with Texas in his first year. In his coaching resume, he made the national title game back in 2019 with Texas Tech. His deal at Texas, seven years, 35 million, was to run through 2028 that he signed last the summer of last year when he took over the Texas program for Shaka Smart. Since he got fired with cause, Phil, he had a $21 million buyout, but because he was fired with cause, he gets absolutely $0 of that $21 million buyout. Um, just kind of your collective thoughts. Uh, I think we all thought that this was coming this way eventually, but now that it's here, it leaves Texas with a big hole to fill and a really good team. Uh, just kind of your general thoughts on it. Well, you know, you mentioned the buyout. I mean, Texas saving $21 million here. If in fact that, you know, stands up, I'm sure Chris Beard's going to fight that in court, but that, uh, that definitely allows them to cast a wide net for who they want to replace him with. We've already heard the, uh, you know, the rumors of John Calipari. I do think that uh, interim coach Rodney Terry has a pretty good chance of actually retaining this job. Um, did a really good job at Fresno State in his first stop and had actually taken over at UTEP. I mean, was doing a pretty good job there and then, you know, took the rare step to take the step down and become an assistant again, but is a really good recruiter. Guy knows basketball. You'll hear other coaches rave about him. So I think look out for Rodney Terry to take that job over. But um, as far as Chris Beard goes, like you said, you mentioned we all thought that this was kind of coming. Um, I think Texas probably did the right thing. But as we've seen many times before with, you know, great coaches, he's going to catch on somewhere when the stink wears off. You know, a year or two from now, he'll end up at a, a middle tier program who's maybe desperate for some success. I could see a, you know, a team like memphis maybe if penny doesn't get things turned around somewhere like that and then you know he'll be back in big time college basketball within five or six years i would imagine so well you answered my follow-up to you because peyton and i talked about it we're we're of the same mindset eventually he will make his way back he might have to go the broadcasting route he might have to go various routes but i think if history has shown us anything he will be back somewhere the question is now you brought up a team like memphis or something i asked peyton this do you think that Chris Beard can re rehab his image enough years down the line to get another shot at a big time program like Texas? Yeah, I think. And, I, you know, whether this is right or wrong, we've just seen it many times before and in, in not only college basketball, but pretty much every level of sports winning, you know, solves everything. And so if he is able to get a job at all, you know, even at a middle tier program and he's able to win there, he's, you know, he's proven he can win at Texas and at Texas Tech, been to a final four, been to a national title game. Somebody's going to give this guy a shot. I mean, people are willing to overlook a lot of flaws and a lot of character flaws when when you bring W's. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, I'm glad to say or to see Texas do the right thing here, because a lot of schools, you know, would have found any excuse to keep Chris Beard around. Now, you did bring up Rodney Terry, who's the interim coach, and I've heard in other shows that he basically has a three-month tryout here to show Texas why he gets this job. And they brought up the financial aspect. You know, if he does well here he, and they decide to keep him full-time, he's looking at potentially like $15 million. And if he struggles, then he stays or goes back to an assistant. It's like a $300,000 job. So you can, you can tell his incentive here, obviously. But Peyton and I on that YouTube video gave our list of candidates. If you are Texas AD athletic director, Crystal Conte, 
who are you calling? Let's say Rodney Terry doesn't work out. Let's say the rest of this year, maybe they feel like he's not the right guy. You are Chris Del Conte. Who is on your short list to come in? And because, let's make no mistake about it, with the resources Texas has, the, the, the following, the backing, the boosters, playing in a big conference, about to go to the SEC, who's a gigantic moneymaker, which means more money, the Longhorn Network, you have disposable income at your hands, backing behind you, big-time boosters, brand-new arena, practice facilities, everything. So it's a big-time job. If you're Crystal Conte, who is on your short list to be your next head coach? Well, I mean, your dream list, the calls you got to make are John Calipari, which, again, we've obviously heard the rumors here, especially in the last day or so, that they've already made those calls or, you know, connections through back channels. Um, an interesting name, I think, to keep an eye on. I, I always have thought that he'll eventually come back to the college game and it may be sooner rather than later is Billy Donovan. You know, the Bulls are not having a ton of success right now, kind of imploding with a little bit of roster friction. Um I'm not sure that Billy Donovan's cut out for that job long-term, and I don't really think that he's an NBA coach long-term. I think he's going to have that itch to come back to college at some point, and Texas may just be the job that could draw him to do that. Um, I think if you're being a little bit more maybe realistic and you want somebody with ties to the program, you could go the route of like a Royal Ivy, who is an assistant currently. Yeah, assistant currently in the NBA doesn't you know doesn't have any assist or uh, experience in the college ranks, but is a young guy. You know, got the most out of his talent in the NBA, so I think he could probably you know develop players pretty well. And, and he, um, so and that's an name to look out for. And he has Kevin Durant's backing. When this opened up a year and a half ago, Kevin Durant pushed for him to get the job. So okay, I mean, so that they, never yeah. hurt. Yeah, that never hurts. Yeah. Um, Corey joining the show, our our other co member here. Corey, I'm going to hear your thoughts real quick on the whole Chris Beard deal and who would be your shortlist if you're athletic director, Chris Del Conte. Yeah, I appreciate you being or having me on. Uh, I mean, I think uh, I think overall Texas just has way too much of a, a uh, you know, uh, image in the uh, overall society and overall community, college basketball, and you know just have too or has too much of a high standing. So uh, I think they made the right move. I think. Uh, I think that was the only option they really had, and definitely needed to uh, definitely needed to do something to uh, you know uh, clear him of you know being a part of the uh, the program. Uh, a couple names. Uh, I mean, is is this something that pulls away? You know, a coach from Gonzaga. I mean, coach. Uh, I mean, is this uh, is this something that Mark Few finally leaves Gonzaga for? I mean, having a program that, you know, has unlimited basically spending, has unlimited basically refunds, their own TV network, something like that. Um, you know, is this something that, you know, a smaller university, you know, do they bring somebody in? I'm really not sure. I, I honestly can't say I've got to do too, too much research. And I was down in Nashville with ABCA this weekend. So, unfortunately, uh, I've been a little bit away from the college game. Uh, I've been with college coaches, but uh, unfortunately not getting to watch basketball as much as I want as well. Well, Mark, Mark Fuse, one that's not being brought up because I think it's under the assumption he's Gonzaga until he's done coaching, which could be interesting. But a couple names just real quick that we brought up in the YouTube video that are interesting that are I think would be home run hires for various reasons. You're talking Jay Wright, if you can bring him back out of retirement, that's a great hire. Um, you're talking a guy like Rick Pitino. Or you, if you're talking about X's and O's coach, you're not going to find better than Rick Pitino. Age could be a factor. Potential scandals would be a home run hire. 
Another guy kind of similar to Mark Few, it's assumed that he'll be there for life, but I love the hiring of Matt Painter if you can take him away from Purdue. I love that hire. Um, Scott Drew is another name you've heard. Jerome Tang from Kansas State. So it's going to be interesting to see where Texas goes with this. Maybe, maybe um, they keep who they've got in place because he does a tremendous job. We all know Texas is really good. But you mentioned John Calipari. It just came out a couple hours ago, actually. The Texas, through back channels, according to Travis Branham, has already reached out to Coach Cal about the potential of him coming on board at Texas. And you hear a lot of chatter from Branham mentioning it in one of the Texas, I think it was 24-7 message boards where he broke this news. And he said he thinks if Texas offers the right package that Calipari bolts for various reasons, the, the progress is slowed at Kentucky, the fan base is restless, it's a potential for a new job, um, like a fresh start. He's obviously going to bring his recruiting class. So I want to ask on two fronts before we move on here. A, do you think Cal takes the Texas job? And B, if he does bolt for Texas, realistically, who do you think Kentucky grabs or A, gives a call to try to be their next head coach? I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense for Texas and for Coach Cal. Texas needs to make a big splash. They always have the, you know, the alums they have to please, all that good stuff. Coach Cal needs a fresh start. You know, the natives are getting restless in Kentucky. He's always going to bring in good recruiting classes, which will hype up the alumni in Texas. He'll have, you know, a fresh clock to get some wins. And it's not the same standard at Texas. You know, at Kentucky, it's national title or bust. At Texas, if he's going to Elite Eights and Final Fours, and they're playing entertaining basketball, he's going to be a hero there. I mean, they've never won a national title in basketball. So I think it's a perfect fit. And I think Kentucky, honestly, would probably not be too sad to see him go. I'm not really sure who they would look at to replace him. Um, again, a name I just brought up, Billy Donovan, would probably be in that conversation. Um, I can't see Rick Patino being somebody that would be considered, you know, as big of a name as he is, obviously, I just don't think, you know, that Boy, they that can would, go that would, back. That would be apropos, though. Imagine Slick Rick comes back to the kingdom and he's re-energized and the fan base takes back to him. Because I'm telling you right now, there is a segment of the fan base that would take him back. And you know X's and O's, he's going to be great. But could he recruit at the level Kentucky's used to and expects? If he could do that, man. Uh, that would be a ma- I mean, it would just be so apropos. He comes back, starts winning again, ends his career at Kentucky with Final Fours and national titles. That would be wild. That would be wild. <laughs> that would be so crazy. Hey, how Absolutely. about – I, I want to give you my short list since I am a, a fan, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts. If I am Mitch Barnhart, you obviously this job, and a lot of people say, outside of Big Blue Nation, take that away, but – a lot of people with a lot of smart intelligence in the world of college basketball say Kentucky's the best job in America. So if it is the best job in America, you should be able to theoretically have the pick of the litter. If I am Mitch Barnhart and Cal moves on finally, I, there's three names at the top of my list I'm calling. I'm calling Jay Wright and bugging the hell out of him to get him out of retirement and bring him in. I'm calling Sean Miller second. Because you talk about a guy who can recruit and obviously coach and has the big experience. It's not new. He went to Arizona and they were really good before the scandals. He's came back to Xavier. We see what they're doing right now. He would thrive at Kentucky. Third name calling Scott Drew. What do you guys think about those three names? 
think any of the three of those guys could succeed there. Um, I, Scott Drew, I'm not sure about. I think that might be a, too big of a job for him as far as the fan base goes. I could see him yes, having a lot you. of friction. He's, he's not a very likable guy in a lot of ways, so I could see him not getting along with the fan base. Um, a name I want to throw in there real quick and just think, hear what you think of, Mike Boynton from Oklahoma State. Oh, that'd be he's he's it. got a lot of connections in the, in the high school world and recruiting. Um, I mean, it would be a big step up for him, but I think it's the kind of job where getting that prestige along with the connections and stuff he already has. I mean, he could have a lot of success there. I like that name. I think that's a, like a tier B. That I think if you swing and miss on like the three I mentioned, plus guys like Muss and Nate Oates, if you miss on those guys or don't think you can get them, then I, yeah, I think that's a very interesting name. Um, a coach that we talked about for the Texas job, Josh, when we did that video, and I mentioned it then, this this dude is a candidate for any job that opens up, and that's Ed Cooley. Yeah, Cooley would be X's and O's. Could he recruit at the level that Kentucky fans are used to would be the big issue, but you know the on product would be fun because they're going to play their ass off. Yeah. Yeah, my only concern with Cooley would just again be I don't not that he's an unlikable guy in any way, but just I don't know that he would want to deal with the fan base. There's it's gonna take a certain type of personality to go to Kentucky as well. Well, they always say the reason guys like Calipari and uh Patino were so good at this job is because you have to be part basketball coach, part politician. You have to go around. You have to shake the hands, kiss the babies, embrace what it means to be a Kentuckian and a Kentucky Wildcat because it's more than just the basketball coach. You have to do everything because it is arguably the best job in college basketball and the fans have high expectations. But very interesting stories. We will follow this Texas Calipari situation as it continues to unfold very interesting stuff. We could be looking at offseason where Cal goes to Texas and Kentucky's job opens up, and it's going to be a crazy carousel, so stay tuned. We'll have everything breaking news for you as it progresses. But let's get into some of the action from last week, fellas. I titled this, I said I titled this, Are the Jayhawks the Best Team in College Basketball? The new ECB poll came out just before we hit play on recording today. The Jayhawks are number one for the first time this season in the Everything College Basketball poll. Houston two, Purdue only follows the three, Alabama four, Tennessee five. That is your top five. So I'll pose the question to you before we look back at Kansas's victories this week. Do you think that the ECB top 25 poll is representative that Kansas currently is the best team in college basketball? Go ahead, Phil. I, I, Full disclosure, personally voted for Houston number one, but I don't think that there's any way that you can say Kansas isn't in that conversation, especially after the week they just had. I mean, got off to a great start in the best conference in America. You know, obviously they've had a couple of tough wins late, but I think that, you know, that proves more about them than it is a, a flaw of theirs. Excuse me. Um, so... I think they're a top five team. I just like Houston's experience at guard. I like Marcus Sasser. I like Drace Walker in the front court. Um, I think Houston ultimately is a little better defensively overall. But is Kansas right there? Absolutely. Can't can't deny that they're, you know, can beat anybody on any given night. Coy, what do you think? 
I, uh, I, I, along with Phil, voted for Houston as number one. I think uh, Kansas is right there uh, in the conversation as well. I think, uh, I think just overall play, they continue to just, uh, shine in big games in any moment. I think easily, uh, easily they're in that conversation. Uh, I know Peyton's going to be in full support of them as well. Well, Peyton, before you answer, I want to say I, I'm going to agree with you because I know obviously we are going with this. And I want to, I will agree with you because what sold me on Kansas is the best team in college basketball on January 9th is the last week of action. Coming from behind at home against Oklahoma State that had you dead to rights to win that game. Going on the road, whether it's a, co- a controversial call or not, I know I pissed some Kansas fans off on our Twitter. Yeah, I mean, a foul, <laughs> uh, hey, a foul's a foul, though. Like, even yeah. Fran Fraschilla said it was a foul, right? Yeah, but you pull foul. off a tough road win, a, a very tough road win, okay, against Texas Tech on the road, and then to go in a place that we talked about last week, a house of horrors for you, and dominate West Virginia. That The last week of action has shown me that Kansas is the best team in the country right now. Yeah, I mean, no offense to Houston. I think Houston's right there at number two. Um, if you want to say Houston's number one, that's fine with me. But I think Kansas has played a tougher schedule. I mean, Houston's best win is going at Virginia and beating them, which is a really good win, don't get me wrong. But Virginia has struggled here recently in a couple weeks. Um, and Kansas, you just mentioned, they they won, they won, beat Oklahoma State, came back 45. It was down 45 to 30 at halftime, came back, beat them. Um, by two points. Then they go on the road to Texas Tech in a very tough environment um, and go there and get a dub there, another close one. Uh, KJ Adams played well in that game. Dwan Harris had like five or five from the three-point line, like 18 points or something like that, played amazing. And then come to West Virginia in Morgantown in a place that Kansas has been snake bit ever since West Virginia moved to the Big 12. Very very difficult place for Kansas to beat West Virginia. It's the game that West Virginia was shitting, fuck you dick, and uh, dick is small to Grady Dick. And I'm pretty sure one person in the crowd said, Grady Dick, you're ugly. Completely shot it out. <laughs> I heard it on the broadcast, and I started fucking dying laughing. I texted Cook about it, and he started laughing too. Um, to come over the 76-62 victory on the road at Morgantown, uh, West Virginia, they led the game six. Uh, they sh- they started the game up six two, like seventeen minutes and forty two seconds in the game in the first half, and then Kansas went on a run and never looked back. And it was like an eight point margin pretty much the rest of the game. So I I mean Kansas is the best team in the country to me. Um, Grady Dix is either second or he's top two best freshman in the country. Jalen Wilson's top two best players in the country. And Dwan Harris, I don't give a shit what anybody says. Dwan Harris is the best point guard in the fucking country. Prove me wrong. Well, well, since he started, the ability to shoot the basketball has made the difference. He was always great defensively, but his shooting ability has skyrocketed his value. In this game at West Virginia, he goes three of six from the three-point line. Something last year he never does. He, he don't do that a couple of years ago. So that development has been huge for Kansas. Phil, they are playing small. We talked about it preseason. The one concern was the lack of interior pay or play because Bill Self loves two bigs at a time with a big man rotation to play the high-low game. He is playing small ball. Kansas is playing out of their mind good right now on both ends of the floor. K.J. Adams' development from his freshman year to sophomore year now has been a massive jump for the big man. Kansas looks the part on both ends of the floor. They were up 71-49 with just under seven minutes left to go in this game in a place where they have been losing more times than winning. Phil, 
what a what a string of games the last month or so since the Tennessee loss Kansas has been on. Absolutely. You know, they're getting hot, but I do want to see how they, you know, continue this through Big 12 play because, you know, we've talked about this last week of games, but, you know, West Virginia is one in five in quad one games. Oklahoma State is one in five in quad one games. Texas Tech is 0 and four in quad one games to, for a combined two and 14. So, I mean, we do need to see them against the the Baylors. Obviously, Baylor has struggled these past couple games as well but has the talent that can match up with Kansas, the Kansas States, the teams that have actually won some big games, but you can't hold it against Kansas that they're handling their business right now. You know, again, we've mentioned they've struggled at West Virginia, whether West Virginia has been good or not, Kansas has struggled at West Virginia. So to just go in there and handle their business is a big win for them. So, I mean, again, I, I think that they have the resume that's as good as anybody, but I do want to see how they continue to stack up against the teams in the big 12 that are a little bit more talented. Well, we're going to find out because, as you mentioned, the best conference and the deepest in college basketball, there's no off nights in this conference to go run and hide. There's no gimme games. And this is a Kansas team that's top 15 in both offense and defense. They're 23rd in three-point percentage shooting, a whopping 38.2%. And the schedule, I'm not going to read all of them, but the next months, they've got Oklahoma, Iowa State, their next two at home. Then they play the rivalry game at Kansas State where it is going to be very interesting. Then they get TCU at home at Baylor, at Kentucky, the return game against Kansas State, and that leads us to February 4th in an away game, Iowa State. That's a brutal stretch coming up. No easy games. We're going to continue to find out a lot about this Kansas Jayhawk team. But in my humble opinion, as we sit here on January 9th, Kansas is the best team in the country. Let's talk about a team that still a really good team, but they've been struggling a little bit. They had a get-right game this last Saturday. But the UConn Huskies took another L. We talked about it last week when they lost to Xavier, the first one. Then they play a big-time Big East game on the road at the Amp against Providence. Providence was able just to basically grind them out. Here's my problem with Connecticut during this little losing two of three. I feel like they're settling for the three-point shot too much. And I know they're shooting 35.7%, 84th in the nation. But those losses, even the Creighton game that they end up winning on Saturday by nine, you go look at the Xavier game, you look at the Providence game, I feel like they are settling too much for the three-point shot instead of attacking inside out. Um, thoughts kind of on that and looking back at this Providence win, Providence damn impressive. Ed Cooley's got Providence atop the Big East, 6-0 and for the first time in school history, and it's kind of crazy for a team that won the conference last year, but I think they might be better this year. I think they might as well. Bryce Hopkins hit 27-5 in this game. I mean, he's just been a completely different player than he was at Kentucky. And to be fair, he didn't get too much playing time when he was at Kentucky either. But this kid just fought out balling this year. Um, he might be Big East Player of the Year. I think he gets my vote for Big East Player of the Year. Sonoga's been playing great so far to start the season. But if I had to vote right now, I think Bryce Hopkins is probably the best player in the Big East Conference. He's just well, playing wanna... lights out. Well, and aggressive. You want to sign that he's aggressive? In this win against UConn, Phil, he shot 15 free throws by himself. He goes 13 yeah. of 15 from the foul line. You don't do that without yeah, being Hopkins aggressive. Been, no, he's been awesome. You know, he had that 25 and 21 game like a week or two ago. He's been awesome. Um, 
UConn, obviously, they just I think they're just hitting that little stretch right now that most teams have where it's just it's hard to maintain, you know, 13, 14, 15 wins in a row. And like you just mentioned with the Big 12, the Big East is really hard to win on and on the road. I mean, there's a lot of tough environments to play play in. Um, they had to get that win on Saturday against Creighton. Uh, and it's impressive with Cal Brenner back. A lot of people sort of you know, after Creighton had won a couple in a row, we're saying Creighton was back from the dead. I'm not so sure that's the case yet either. Um, I'm not quite sure I'm ready to give Hopkins Big East player of the year over Sonogo, but if Providence ends up winning the conference, I don't think there's any way you can not give it to Hopkins. I mean, I just, I don't even know what to say. Like if, if they somehow win the con. Go ahead. Well, he, he's been such a mismatch. He's six, seven. Is he a three? Is he a four? Yeah, I, I think he's somewhere in between. He's like a three and a half, right? But when he plays as a big that handles the ball and brings the ball up the floor, that can pick and pop on you, that can post you up in smaller mismatches, that can definitely crash down and rebound, that can drop passes if you try to double him, he, he finds the open guy. And then it helps that he has – we talk so much about lack of guard play and or good guard play and as in the terms of Kansas and some of these other teams is the difference in March. Look at who he has around him that's helping him out, too. You can't double and you can't key in so much on Bryce Hopkins because if you do, Noah Locke had a terrible year last year at Louisville. He's back playing like Noah Locke from Florida. He had 17 in this win over UConn. Uh, Devin Carter, the South Carolina transfer, has been playing really well. Jared Bynum, he only played nine minutes in this game. I think he's dealing with some injury issues. But when he's rolling, he's playing really well. Providence is a complete team. They don't have like this crazy superstar that like some other teams do, but the collective, and I think you can say it's the Ed Cooley effect, uh, Corey, but as the collective, Providence is one well-oiled unit and they are just steamrolling teams right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, I think Providence is going to be that team that, you know, just continues to roll and get better and better as the year goes along. I think, uh, I think Cooley's done a great job. And continues to grow, uh, grow the overall program of the state of it uh, for where they're wanting to get to. I think uh, you know you guys kind of touched on it. The Big East, the Big East. Wow, I can't talk. The Big East is a tough place to play uh, on the road, and I think it's just going to continue. Uh, Promise going to turn some heads at home. I think they're going to slide a couple away games. And I don't think there's a tougher environment in the Big East basketball than playing at the Absol- Amp. Absolutely not. The 10 and 0 at home when they're playing at the Amp, or formerly known as the Dunk, whichever the one you want to fucking call it, I don't really care. Um, but they're not going to. We mentioned it last 29, week. Sorry, Peyton. 29 and 1 over the last year yeah, and a half. We mentioned it last home. week because I think me and you both predicted Providence to win this game. Um, they're not going to lose very many games when they're playing at the Amp. It's just not going to happen. That environment is just too tough. They came in, They came off of this game, was playing on January 4th, three days after the new year. And I don't think they had students there because I think students were still on um, a week break or winter break. Yeah, Christmas vacation. Christmas vacation. And the fact is, there was still loud. You see Ed Cooley on the sidelines pumping the crowd up and them getting extra loud for this game. It's a tough environment. To me, it's a top five environment in the country. Absolutely. And the last thing on this, Phil, uh, for Connecticut and Providence, I've seen UConn fans. Obviously, when your team loses, you got to blame something besides, you know, you blame officials, you blame this and that. I've seen a lot of UConn fans on Twitter uh, complain about the foul disparity. 
because our discrepancy, should I say, because Providence shot 35 of them. They go 29 of 35 from the foul line, and UConn only goes 10 and 19. But if you watch the flow of the game, the most aggressive team, which was Providence, got the calls because they were attacking the rim. And if you want to blame something, UConn fans, blame the fact that you shot 5 of 22 from 3. Like I said, you fall in love a little bit too much with the three-point shot, and when they're not falling, this is what happens. Yeah, no, that's what I was about to say, is you can't expect to not have a a big free-throw disparity when one team is attacking the rim all night, and then you're just settling for three-pointers. I mean, what do you expect? You're not going to draw a bunch of fouls on three-pointers. So, yeah, I, I think, like you said, teams always have to find some sort of, or fans, excuse me, always have to find some sort of excuse for their team. And UConn's still going to, prob- I mean, more than likely win the Big East, in my opinion, but Providence even being in the position that they are right now is a, a major shock to me. And the free-throw disparity, this is Big East basketball on the road. In a tough environment, you're not going to get a majority of the calls, and the, especially since the home team was the aggressor in the majority of this game. So I don't really care too much about the free throw disparity. Maybe if you want to get more free throws, maybe attack the win more. I don't know. But big fan of this Providence team, and I think UConn's going to be fine in a couple well, weeks. Well, speaking of find, fans finding a way to uh, describe games and their team losing, Corey, this one's directed directly at you because your Hoosiers – go on last Thursday evening, went into Carver-Hawkeye Arena, jumped out to a 28-7 to lead early in the game on the road. They started Tamar Bates. Head coach Mike Woodson had mentioned prior to the game that he's going to swap Bates in the starting lineup at the two-guard in place of Trey Galloway for more offense. It worked early. The Hoosiers jumped out, like I said, to a 28-7 lead with 13-32 left to go in the first half. And Iowa clawed their way back, and ends up winning this game 91-89. I want to hear your initial reactions, and we also got to send well wishes out to Fran McCaffrey's son, um, star Patrick McCaffrey, taking some time away from the team to or attack his uh, some you know mental issues and some personal stuff he needs to address. So we wish him the, bell, or wish him the best. Um, we know how tricky and um, – like mental stuff can be. And so we hope for him to get right and then eventually come back if that's what he wants to do. But Corey, I want to hear your initial reactions. The Hoosiers blow a 21 point lead in the first half. Yeah. Uh, bad turnovers, bad, bad play. I mean, it's, it's the same recipe that, you know, Indiana's played with uh, in years past. Uh, they got out and it, it just looked like they got a little bit comfortable. Uh, Chris Murray absolutely lit it up, played all 40 minutes. And, I mean, he, he flied out, put the team on his back and said, watch what we can come back and do. Um, I mean, it's just I, – I don't know what to even say. I uh, I was watching in and out and just overall the course of seeing uh, seeing Iowa storming back and it just – they gained more and more confidence and continued to roll. And, uh, I mean, it just – I don't know. Jordan Geronimo coming in and making – or playing a little bit, just he continues to show he's an athlete, but he's not a basketball player, in my opinion. Uh, and it showed even more uh, on Sunday. But um, Indiana's just in a bad spot. Race Thompson going down hurt doesn't help out, also. And it's just Indiana's falling quickly. Yeah. And it looks like Anna, um, I think we focus so much on their offensive woes, shooting the basketball in particular. Their offense ain't an issue right now. It's ironically no. their defense. I mean, you gave up – you're up 21, and a defensive-minded team should have seen that game out. 
but they're giving up too many points. And to Corey's point, it looks like they take their foot off somebody's neck and don't play hard for a full 40 minutes and stay connected until it's too late. And it, Iowa ended up taking the lead. Indiana did fight back, but Iowa ends up winning this game. Trace Jackson Davis, 30 points, nine rebound performance. Jalen Hutchifino continues to play well as a freshman, 21 points. Nobody else for Indiana in double figures in this game. You mentioned Jordan Geronimo. He had nine points, but in the flow of the game, man, he just made some very ill-advised shot selection and couldn't really defend like he normally does. I, I, I can't figure Indiana out, man, and – for the strength that we thought that they would have, the defense is failing them right now. The thing is about IU when I was watching this game is they shot really well from the three-point line. Eight of 15, 53% from the three-point line. That's been a big discussion all season long. Can they hit shots? That and free throws. That's the biggest thing I'm looking at right here. They missed nine free throws. 17 out of 26, 65%. You can't do that when you're on the road. You got to hit, uh, well, if you hit three free throws, you win the game by one point. Um... They got out rebounding them 37 to 32. They had more assists in Iowa 21 16. This is a game that they should have won. Uh, they should have closed it out. They were up. They were up 10 points, 50 to 40, going into the second half, and gave up 51 points in the second half. And as far as Iowa goes, uh, Corey, you mentioned it. Chris Murray went absolutely ballistic. Probably his best game of the season so far. Played all 40 minutes, 30 points, 10 rebounds. This could be the turning point of this Iowa team. Uh, Connor McCaffrey played well, 16 points. Um, with Brock uh, played 19 and 10. This could be the turning point for them, and they could start to put all the pieces together and see if they can make a, um, a march well, towards the Big Ten. Well, this weekend, too. Just the other day, they went into Rutgers, which we know is a place you don't go get wins, and they got a win. So it's a couple in a row now. Uh, maybe Iowa is turning the corner. But, Phil, kind of your thoughts on this game and Indiana as a whole, because Corey mentioned it. They're already down Xavier Johnson. They lose Race Thompson this game, and it doesn't look good. Uh, an official diagnosis hasn't came in yet, but it looks like he's going to miss a lot of time, if not the rest of his career here at Indiana. Uh, the wheels seem to be falling off at IU right now. Yeah, I mean, outside of TJD and Jalen hood Shafina, who's been awesome, um, they don't really have a whole lot they can rely on, but you mentioned it. They haven't, it hasn't really been the offense that's been letting them down, you know, and this one, they give up 91 points and it's Chris Murray, who's really the one I was most impressed with from this game. Obviously he's been having a good year, but been a little banged up, finally getting healthy, but did his best impression of his brother Keegan just was scoring at all three levels, went three for six from three, but was getting to the rim, hit some mid range jumpers. Um, like you guys mentioned, he played all 40 in that one. He played all 40 in the game before as well against Penn State and had 32 points and then 34 minutes against Rutgers. Uh, and that went on Saturday, uh, on Sunday, excuse me. So Chris Murray finally getting healthy has been a huge difference for Iowa. But I'm not really sure what Indiana can do to right the ship at this point because they are just so beat up with injuries as well. I mean, there's not anybody that's really, you know, walking through that door that can make a huge difference for him right away. Um so it, it may be more of a struggle than we expected for Indiana in Big Ten play. And then Iowa may be bouncing back. Like Peyton said, this could be the uh, sort of turning point of the season. Yeah, and we mentioned, and I was talking to a good friend of the show, and uh, Johnny Stroud, which. What the hell? What do you got? I think we just, I think we just lost Josh there, but uh, I think he was talking about Johnny. And his uh, his takes on Indiana. But uh, you want to move on to the next topic, Peyton? Does well, Indiana make a tournament? Oh, I think they still make the tournament. I mean, 
I think they're probably looking at like what maybe 500 in Big Ten play, just under 500. I mean, I don't I don't think that the wheels are going to totally come off this team and they're going to be a a bottom five Big Ten team. I still think they're going to find some wins at home, but as far as like the expectation before the season that they were maybe a Final Four, Elite Eight, National Title, somewhere in that kind of team, uh, I, I think that's long gone. I think I think they're going to make the tournament. I think they can figure it out. They did. They need to get healthy, especially in the guard play. Uh, Xavier Johnson. He needs. Uh, I don't know when he's coming back or if he's coming back at all. Being going in, going down injured in the Kansas game. Um, but they need someone. They need him to come back. Hood Shafino uh, played well in this game against Iowa, but it just wasn't enough to overcome um, a tough road win. But. Uh, yeah, we can move on. Next game on the docket is talking about, funny enough, is talking about Alabama drilling Kentucky. Um, that's why this, Josh disappeared. It's a lot less fun to talk about while Josh isn't here, though. That's the, <laughs> Don't worry. That's the when, he come, when he decides to come back, um, we'll get his opinion on it. But yeah, I Kentucky, think that's probably why he went ahead and dropped out right there is because he knew that game was coming up next. And yeah, he wanna, pulled a coy, didn't he? Didn't want to have to talk about <laughs> another Wildcat loss. <laughs> Yeah, there, there we go. I got kicked there out. There that. I uh, might have removed you I, I, accident. I'd my ask, bad. I'd ask Corey a question. I, I'd ask Corey a question, and I was like, "Well, nobody responding." And then I looked, and I got kicked out. So uh, that might have been guys. my bad. Sorry. It probably was Josh's fault or Peyton's fault. Uh, I, I do the first thing you said is Josh's fault. <laughs> regardless about what I was saying about the rotation. Indiana's got a lot to figure out. But speaking of another Blue Blood who is in this similar situation of struggling and honestly does not look like a tournament team. By the way, before we get to this game, you want to talk about the year where Blue Bloods are potentially not tournament teams as of January 9th? And obviously I think one of these teams are in a far better spot. But you look at Indiana, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, four massive blue bloods neither of the four are really good right now neither of the four and let's start with kentucky unfortunately i want to hear you guys' thoughts they go down for a big game on saturday down to alabama playing a top 10 alabama team and it was close in the first half kentucky got down early they rallied back they got within a point or two points on multiple possessions because they kept stringing defensive stops together they continued to play good defense for, and held Alabama scoreless for four minutes in the first half and either came down with a chance to tie or take the lead and either turn the ball over or tuck a bad shot, and Alabama ended the half on a 9-0 run, or sorry, a 7-0 run, and second half, complete domination by Alabama. They win 78-52 because of a bullshit three-pointer at the end, made it a little closer than what it should have. This was an awful display by Kentucky. They showed no fight, no heart in the second half. Alabama looks the part of a Final Four team, so I want to hear it from all fronts from you guys. Alabama looks great. Kentucky looks terrible. Let's hear your thoughts on it. Well, before you got kicked, this is a game that we was getting transitioned to, and uh, let me just bring this little point up here that I got from one of our friends at Heat Check CBB. After a 78-52 blowout loss against number 7 Alabama, Kentucky is now 11-22 in its last 33 games against Quad 1 opponents since the start of the 2020-21 season. The Wildcats are 0-4 in Quad 1 games this season with the average margin of defeat by 16.5 points. That's saying something. Um, 
first half, Kentucky was there. They could have went up in this game very much so. They were down one point, and they just couldn't find a bucket. This is a game that, unfortunately, the national play of the year could not play in. Um, this is the first game, and Oscar Shibay's played 47 games so far for Kentucky. This is the first game that he's been out-rebounding by opposing team's best, one of the opposing team's player. He had six rebounds in this game. This is a game he could not play in. Um, Bidiaka was just beating him down the floor every time, and... Uh, you know, Cal gets a lot of um, flack for some of his in-game adjustments or lack of in-game adjustments. But one thing he made sure of, he made sure to take um, the national play year out when he was not playing well, especially defensively, giving up a lot of easy buckets, especially in transition. But talk about Alabama, though. Mark Sears was phenomenal in this game. 16 points, 4-10 from the field. Uh, six rebounds, four assists, two. Had a couple turnovers. Played 31 minutes. I mean, some of these six step back deals. threes. Yeah, some of these yes. step back threes that he hit in this game, especially later on in the second half, was just incredible. He was in his bag. And Brandon Miller, you can say he's the best freshman in the country if you want to. Um, I'm not going to argue against that. I think he's definitely top two. 19 points, seven fifteen from the field, seven rebounds. He didn't really play his best in the first half. Matter of fact, I didn't think, I think he only had, uh, he had seven points in the first half, but he turned it on in the second half, and he was phenomenal, as he has been all season. Phil? Yeah, I think it's just, again, it's the same thing we've talked about with Kentucky, is just offensively, they don't have guys who can really go out and create for themselves. They don't have a modern offense. Um I'm Josh, I'm curious what you think because Oscar this season just doesn't look like the same guy that he was last season. I mean, he I'm hasn't a, been bad. I mean, in this game, he was kind of bad, to be honest. But overall, he hasn't yeah. been bad, but he hasn't been nearly as dominant as he was last year. And he just doesn't look like I mean, he doesn't look physically the same either. He just doesn't look almost like as explosive. Well, if we remember the start of the season, he had knee surgery. So do you think that has something to do with it? I, it might, and I, I won't put it past it. That I, I'm sure it's got some lingering effect, and he probably came back too early, if we're being honest. But, man, I, I want to give credit to Facebook member. He's been with us for a long time. He's a West Virginia guy. He said last year that Oscar Shibway, his first year at West Virginia, would, he played his heart out. He, he, he made the fans fall in love with him. He did the rebounding. He did all that. But the second year at West Virginia, he – had a letdown. He kind of stopped doing what he was doing. He would play hard, but he had a bad year. And he said he's going to do the same thing at Kentucky. And we all blew it off, especially after last year. Well, he he commented after this game on the game thread and said, I told you he did the same thing at West Virginia. And he's got a point because Oscar last year, playing hard is not in question. With a lot of players, we talk about the effort. Like Indiana, we talk about the effort plays. Oscar's always going to play hard. You don't have to coach him on that. But he does some shit that is so infuriating. Do you know what his plus minus for this game was? Negative, oh, was 20, negative 25 when he was on the yeah. floor. He was minus 25 and plus minus on the floor. He played 23 minutes, four fouls. He only had four points and didn't get those till very, very late in the game when Kentucky was down almost 30 points. And it's because he when he plays bigger guys – the bigger, more athletic guys. You look last year what Tennessee did to him with Jonas Idu. And um, what was their big guy? I forgot his name. It just escaped me. But th they dominated him for the most part because of how big they were. 
He plays below the rim, and when you're a below-the-rim guy, you've got to be explosive. He tries to powder puff stuff instead of dunking through somebody as big as he is. We saw last year he improved his jump shooting ability to stretch up to 14, 15 feet. He doesn't do that anymore. And then if you get further in breakdown and tape, there's some great people. Hoops Insight on Twitter does great breakdowns after every Kentucky-Louisville game. He talks and shows examples of uh, Oscar spacing. He runs to the ball instead, and it, it does not help the spacing of the offense. And then the, the rest of the team around him doesn't help out because when he gets the ball in the post, everybody knows the ball's going there, and he's not a great passer out of the post and out of double teams. Alabama literally put five people around him because, A, he's not going to pass out of the post, and, two, the spacing doesn't allow for him to have any passing lanes. Oscar's effort is there, but his ability has declined, and it is hurting a team that desperately needs somebody to take over. And this team, I I do want to give credit to two people. I know it's hard to pick out stars, quote-unquote, when you get blown out. I thought Xavier Wheeler did everything he could do in this game. 15 points, hit some shots, was in control, only one turnover. I thought he played decent, and I thought in in the 15 minutes he got, I thought Damian Collins was fairly good in this game. But everybody else was dog shit in this game. Jacob Topping gets hurt, so we don't know how long he's out. It's just, it's another road loss. You've come to expect it from this Kentucky team over the last couple of years. And Alabama looks the part. It is, I mentioned to a couple of people the other day after the game, it is okay to lose. I mean, it's never okay, but if you're going to lose to a top 10 Alabama team on the road, even by five, 10 points, because it kind of got away from you, fine. You cannot be down almost 30 and then show no fight. It's unacceptable whether you're Kentucky or who you are. And they just lay down and let Alabama do whatever they wanted to them. And to be fair to Oscar, um, I mentioned he only had four points, one to seven from the field. Um, a lot of that has to do with Kentucky, like you mentioned, Kentucky's spacing. These teams are starting to pack the paint on Oscar, surrounding him with four or five guys down the paint. And the only way he's getting any buckets if he runs in transition or if he's getting an offense rebound and going straight up with it. And that has a lot to do. Kentucky has to hit shots to help him out. Because if Kentucky starts hitting shots, then they're going to have to extend their defense up, start playing more in the perimeter. And it's going to allow Oscar to have a little bit more freedom down low. But the thing is, is like they're not hitting shots, and we thought they would be. Five or 20 from the three point line you can't do that when you're playing on the road at Alabama when they're going to be able to hit shots I mean they went 8 of 22 for themselves um definitely a lot not not the greatest 36 percent but definitely a lot better than Kentucky um fellas you know what annoys me fellas you know you know what annoys me the most and Phil and Corey I'll let you talk on this watching that game and it's not just this game you go back to Gonzaga they did the exact same thing other teams have done it Michigan State when they made their run Kentucky does not sprint back and talk and communicate in transition defense. Alabama, especially you mentioned Charles Bidiaco, beat Oscar down the floor nine times out of ten, just about every time. They look confused in transition defense when they miss a shot, long rebound, or like Missouri did it to them, even on makes, push the action, Kentucky scrambles, they don't talk, they give up a layup or three. That can't happen. And Oscar keeps, even last year, but it's worse this year, If you play Kentucky, and credit to Nate Oates, he's a tremendous coach. He exploited this. If you play Kentucky, 
put Oscar Sheway in pick and roll defense because he overhelps, he stays on the hard hedge, does not recover to the roller quick enough. And then when he decides he's going to play under and stick with the roller, he doesn't help out on the driver and gives up wide open layups. The key to playing Kentucky is very simple as pick and roll, put Oscar in the pick and roll, make him defend because he is not good at defending pick and rolls and he's not good at running back in transition. Josh, in past years with Kentucky, especially at this time of the year um, in January, even when the offense isn't clicking, what is one thing they can always count on in the past Kentucky years? Like the offensive rebounds and running the floor? Well, it's the defense, too. The defense yeah. is normally really good. They're 50th in Ken Palm. They were 35th last week as the time that we was talking about this game. Uh, oh, no, no, it's top. There's 30th in Ken Palm last week. They dropped 20 spots. They gave up 43 second-half points to Alabama. Their defense isn't great either. And I thought about a month ago that their defense was elite. And I was wrong about that. Giving up 43 second-half points, that's something you can't do, especially well, in the all, road. It, Defensively, all, they got to get better. Like I mentioned, it's all the communication. So, Phil, I want to hear your thoughts quick before we move on well you guys just mentioned the issues defensively and i'm just curious like how badly does this team miss a guy like bryce hopkins right now that that swiss army knife not only offensively but defensively too who can switch between guard and the three and the four who can kind of make up athletically a little bit for the things that oscar you know lacks in the pick and roll like they need sort of that connecting piece and jacob toppin obviously can do some of that but he's hurt now um what about they, just, they have a lot of flaws yeah, this yeah Keon, exactly. Missing, uh, this kid, they are missing a kid like Keon that made up for a lot of defensive flaws last year. Yep, they're missing exactly. that. And that's why you're seeing them being ranked 50th, and you're seeing sort of these flaws that Oscar has getting exploited even worse because you don't have the other guys who can make up for that. Yeah, uh, Kentucky's in real trouble if they even make the tournament right now as we sit here January 9th. Um, not good. I mentioned Duke, Phil. Phil, they uh, took a loss where they got embarrassed last week to North Carolina State. Uh, real quick, your thoughts on Duke because here's my thought on them. We aren't really talking a whole lot. Besides you being in a lot of games, we're not talking a whole lot about Duke this year. And that would never happen our Coach K, for good or bad. Even in their bad year a couple years ago, we always talked about Duke. I feel like some of the luster and the star appeal of our has already started to wane on Duke just because we're not talking about them. They're they're a good team, not great, but we don't know really how good they are. And again, even if they were 24th under Coach K and had a couple losses by now, everybody would be talking about Duke. And it feels like outside of us, or oh, and when they play a big game, like when they played Purdue or whoever. Nobody's really talking about Duke, and I'm starting to worry if that star power that, hey, it's Duke, we got to talk about them, is starting to fade because they just, they're, it's, to be honest, they're kind of just another college team right now. Yeah, you know, I'm not so sure that it's as much the star power, the luster fading off them as it is just like they're not under the constant microscope. I mean, I think it's sort of a good thing that this team can be ranked 24th and go through you know, the struggles that a lot of teams do have during the course of a year and not have to have that microscope on them of, oh, Coach K is the coach. Like you mentioned that team two or three years ago that struggled. Like a 17 and 15 team shouldn't be on ESPN every day getting talked about. Like most teams that are on that level aren't getting talked about like that. So I think it, in a way it's a good thing, but in a way it puts a lot of pressure on you. So I think it's almost, it's almost better for this team right now. Um, 
They're not a national title contender, though. I, I thought they would be at the beginning of the year. I thought they had the talent to do that. Uh, and I still think overall, you know, they're a very talented team. But like Derek Lively isn't nearly as far along as we thought he would be, um, particularly offensively. You know, he's a really good defensive player, but he just doesn't add anything offensively. Um, Derek Whitehead is starting to show flashes. You know, again, he had 18 points the other day, I think. Um, but they just can't do anything offensively without Roach out there. Uh, which is a huge problem for them. I, I honestly see them as a team who's going to like finish probably third or fourth in the ACC now and, you know, a first or second round exit. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an odd year in college basketball. I and mean, you look at a team like Kansas State had a tremendous week this last week. They got the nation's 10th longest uh, win streak, Corey, right now at eight games. They beat Texas in a crazy game, 116-103 at Texas. And then Saturday, they go play at Baylor and win in overtime, 97-95 in a high-level college basketball game. Kansas State looks the part of the real deal. They got one of the best backcourts in college basketball right now with Marcus Noel and um, Keontae Johnson. This is a really good Kansas State team. Also around the Big 12, you know, you had that TCU uh, Iowa State game where Iowa State was able to stop TCU's big win streak. The Big 12 is insane right now. Any other games around the country? We didn't even talk about really Purdue taking their first loss of the year. Uh, rapid fire real quick. Some of the other games that caught your eye from this last week college basketball. Uh, just no, just real quick, uh, just go a little bit back to the Duke game, so I just want to talk a little bit more about that. Phil, I'm glad it took you to January to finally agree with me when I made my preseason predictions having Duke third or fourth in the ACC conference. So I'm glad you finally you finally came okay. around and started to agree with me on there. You watched him a lot this season. Hold, hold and, on, hold on. Are you, you also had UNC first and Virginia second, which I'm not sure is, isn't looking Virginia? so hot right now. So. Virginia, Virginia just beats them. Virginia has ACC losses already. Yeah, but the top of the conference is Clemson and fucking Pittsburgh. And they're both undefeated, so I mean that's going to change here soon. But uh, uh, Purdue, no, talk about Purdue. We mentioned Purdue go, went at Ohio State. I ended up watching the game. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer game winning shot to end the game. Ohio State led majority of the game. Purdue struggled; they couldn't really hit shots, uh, especially in the first half. Second half, they started to sell it in, um, and Zach Eady started to play like the national play of the year, like he is, or like he has all season long. And it took Fletcher Lawyer to hit a game winning shot. Purdue almost lost three games in a row. They could have lost three games in a row, and just two weeks ago, we were talking about them being one of the best teams in the country. They got to get some stuff figured out, but going out Ohio State in the Big Ten uh, road game, um, it's going to be tough to win road games in the Big Ten. Well, they did it, and congrats to them because they played especially well in the second half. Yeah, you mentioned it, Peyton, and even they struggled in the first half uh, yesterday against Penn State. Now, granted, Penn State was hitting absolutely every – I mean, Penn State was hitting fucking crazy shots, but – Jalen Pickett's been fucking unbelievable for Penn State. Um, I think they're looking like a tournament team right now. Um, have to give a shout-out to Illinois. Getting the 10-point uh, win against Wisconsin on Saturday was a little surprised at that, especially considering that. you know the uh, loss of Sky Clark from the program the day prior. Um, yeah, they had to have that win. They're kind of teetering on the bubble right now. Um, but, yeah, no, those are sort of my two bigger games of the week. Uh, I'm going to go something? with, uh, yeah, Northwestern. Uh, they just continue turning heads, continue shooting the ball well. Uh, went into Indiana, forced a bunch of turnovers. Uh, Indiana made it close with the 84-83 loss. But I think, you know, Northwestern, uh, they had, what, a 17-point lead uh, at one point. Indiana tried to claw back, but they just continued to 
make the shots and make the plays down the stretch. And then the uh, the other uh, big uh, game that I wanted to talk about was Washington State knocking off Arizona, a top five uh, win for the first time in uh, program history in 122 years, uh, picking up that 74-61 victory on Saturday. Uh, just, you know, uh, Washington State, not really a premier program, but knocking off a top five team on the road. Yeah, that's a good point. And Arizona, sorry, Peyton, but Arizona, as great as they looked in non-conference, they have, they've been really unimpressive in Pac-12 play. They got the two losses now, Utah and Washington State. They probably should have lost to Washington earlier in the week at home. They've not really looked great yeah. in Pac-12 play, and I can't figure it out. Yeah, no, they've looked decidedly average in Pac-12 play. I'm glad you mentioned that Washington game the other night, too, because they got outplayed in that game for the majority yeah, of it. Yeah, probably should have lost. I'm not sure if it's just – yeah, I'm not sure if it's just the fact that, you know, these other Pac-12 teams have seen them enough that they have a scouting report on them, which is sort of something we talked about in the Big Ten with Purdue, you know, last week, that, you know, as dominant as Edie is against the rest of the country, he just doesn't dominate the Big Ten quite the same way because, you know, coaches have seen him multiple times and have had a chance to game plan for him. Um, and I think that's kind of what Arizona's running into as well. And how about this? You know, last week, the this team was uh, co-major team of the week. New Mexico, there's no undefeated teams in the country anymore. New Mexico has lost two in a row. They lost January 3rd on Tuesday at Fresno State, 71-67. Then they turn on January 7th, Saturday. Um, in the pit, loses to UNLV 84-77. to There is no more undefeated teams in the country. Indiana's undefeated record is safe for another year. Um... How about New Mexico? Losing two in a row. Yeah, dropping both, man. Um, it'd be interesting if that slide that happens, you know, when you lose your first one, if it'll continue or if they can figure it out. But what we're going to figure out now is we're going to take our one and only commercial break of the show. We're going to let some ads play, pay the bills around here, and we'll come back. we got some big games in college basketball and conference play. We'll be coming right at you right after a word from our sponsors. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season, so check out the website www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 
head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me, and let's get back to everything college basketball. Hope you guys take the time. We're on the road to the Royal Rumble, which means we're subsequently on the road to WrestleMania. The Rumble is my favorite pay-per-view of all time. So go check out our friends, Everything Pro Wrestling, for all the pro wrestling insight you could want. And like we mentioned at the top of the show, our title sponsors and all of them, go to the houseenterprise.com, house-enterprise.com. Check out the House College Hoops folks over there. We're a part of that as well. Go check it out, everybody, that you just heard about. But uh, let's turn our attention to this week, fellas. Again, I feel like I'm saying it every week at this point, but it's going to happen week after week. We are going to have massive game after massive game after massive game. And you looked at last week, we didn't mention it, but 16 of the top 25 teams all at least took one loss. And I think it's going to be more of the same from here on out. But let's start with the first game on the docket this week of importance. Wednesday night. Two of the best teams in the conference, two of the best teams in America will lock up in one of the best conferences in the sport when the ECB ranked number four Alabama Crimson Tide head down to Fayetteville, Arkansas to play the number or number 17 ranked Arkansas Razorbacks Wednesday night. Um, what a clash this is going to be. Two of the best coaches in college basketball. Both names are being linked to Texas and every big opening that's going to come up from here on out for the next few years. Alabama and Arkansas. What a what a game this could be. Um, Phil, I want to hear your thoughts first. I mean, it's just hard to judge Arkansas right now because you never know whether Nick Smith is going to be playing or not. Um if he's playing, I think Arkansas competes in this game and has every chance to win. But if he's not, that completely changes them as a team. You know, they really only can rely on Ricky Council, the fourth at this point, offensively, um, you know, on a regular basis. Anthony Black can create for others, but his scoring comes and goes. Jordan Walsh's offense is pretty much non-existent at this point. Um, obviously, the loss of Trayvon Brazil earlier in the year has just sort of, you know, killed their scoring in the front court. So I think Alabama takes this one. Um, just because I can't rely on Nick Smith being healthy. Um, I think Alabama, you know, has the backcourt that can compete. Obviously, I think Brandon Miller's the best player on the floor. Um, Charles Bediaco and uh, Noah Clowney in the front court for Alabama have both been great. I think Bama is starting to look the part of national title contender, and they uh, they put on a show for the country in this one and take out Arkansas 80-72. to 72. Yeah, man, I love this matchup. We're talking about both these teams on the surface. What you think of them, you think offensive ingenuity with both head coaches. Both of them are going to get up and down. Both are going to shoot threes. But it's really the defenses that are carrying both because out, both teams are ranked on the side of the top 10 in Ken Palm and effective defense. Um, both of them really good. I, I think this is such – I wish Nick Smith was playing this game because I would desperately want to see Nick Smith versus Brandon Miller in this game. And I know directly they probably wouldn't guard each other much, but just the, the showcase of the top-tier freshmen going head-to-head. This is going to be a fun one. I do think Anthony Black is going to step up in this game. Obviously, who guards Brandon Miller – you know, you look at three-point shooting, and Arkansas has shot a terrible 28.7%. So they're going to have to butter their bread in the paint, get out and run in transition, use their defense to turn Alabama over. But, man, I'm with you, Phil. 
I think what I've seen so far from Alabama and what they did to Kentucky, and I know Kentucky is not at the level of Arkansas right now, but Alabama's size and length creates so many problems for teams right now. And then you can knock the three down and you have a you know future top five lottery pick and Brandon Miller. I got to go tied in this one on the road, especially without Nick Smith. I'm going with, I think this is a high scoring game. I say Alabama wins 91-84. This is going, I mean, even though it's at Arkansas, and normally I would, you know, pick the teams who have home court advantage, especially in conference play. Um, you, know, you mentioned Trayvon Brazil's out for the year. That's a big loss for them. They need a guy like him. He's played so well. He played so well in the Maui tournament. Um, he's played well all season long. Hell, he's the one who had that fucking amazing dunk that made Sports Center and it made the you know Twitter was rambling all about it. But losing him's definitely a big loss. And I'm with you guys. If Nick Smith don't play in this game, if he's not back in time for this uh, top ten matchup between the two schools, then it's going to be trouble for Arkansas because they can't hit shots either. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. 340th in three-point percentage, 28.7%. They got to hit shots. I don't think they're going to do it. Alabama wins this game. Um, I don't know who they're going to pit on uh, Brandon Miller. I don't know if it's going to be Makai Mitchell, if it's going to be Jordan Walsh. But one thing I do know is that Brandon Miller is going to get his own because he's done it all season long. I think Bama wins this game, and I think they won it 84-79. to 79. Corey, we got the Bama sweep. Yes, sir, you do. I think uh, Bama just in the front court, they shoot the ball way too well. I think Arkansas just doesn't have the consistent shooting that they need to to stay in this game and stay competitive. I think uh, I think Bama dominates just like they did against Kentucky. Um, I think they go into Arkansas, and I think they run away with it there at the end, uh, 86-72. So we got a roll-tide sweep of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Also on Wednesday night, back in the best conference of college basketball, you got number 15 TCU at number 10 Texas. We've spent the top part of the show talking all about the things going on at Texas. This is an in-state rivalry. Peyton, I'll let you start first because I think this is an interesting case study. Well, I literally just mentioned it. Normally, I'd go with the teams who had the home court advantage, and the Moody Center has been rocking this year, um, the new arena they had this coming into the season. But I like this TCU squad. They're playing better. Mike Miles is going off. Um He's been playing great so far, and it has a lot to do with Damian Ball coming back from or coming back from some suspension. Damian Ball is playing more of the one, letting Mike Miles play more of the two, and let him go get buckets. A uh, big fan of this TCU squad. Um, I think TCU gets the job done. TCU wins this game. I think eighty-one to seventy-seven. Yeah, I'm with Peyton here. You know, I typically favor the team with the best player on the floor. And I think in that case, this is TCU with Mike Miles. Um, you know, he mentioned Damian Bob, but Emmanuel Miller and Micah Peavy have both been really good for TCU as well. Um, I just think TCU is the actual better team in this case. And uh, I like them in a, a tight one in the Moody Center, but uh, 75. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the script. Uh, I think that this one's gonna take uh, or be taken by Texas. I think Moody Sitter's gonna be rocking. I think uh, I think people are gonna be really curious to see what the team looks like uh, after uh, Beard got let go. Uh, I think Marcus Carr goes off uh, and uh, kind of carries the team. And I think uh, I think Texas wins it uh, 70, 78, 72. 
I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think Texas definitely wants to slow TCU down and grind them, and I think TCU is okay with that. TCU's three-point shooting percentage-wise concerns me. They're only shooting like 29%. Basically, we'll say 30%. And Texas doesn't allow teams to shoot that well from three. I think they're holding teams right around 32%. So that's going to be a key if TCU can hit some shots and open up Texas's defense. I think the better – Phil, you said TCU is the better team, and I think right now they are. I think the better talent's Texas. But I'll go with the better team because they've been playing better despite the loss to Iowa State. They've been on a roll. And I'm going to go TCU going into the Moody Center and getting a win, and I think there's just so much going on with Texas right now. And I like I like TCU. The one thing about Texas, though, they've been giving quite a bit of points here lately. So – I think TCU does enough. I think it could be a defensive slugfest. So I'm going to say TCU 61-55. Let's stay in the Big 12 or Big 12 Saturday. Kansas number one Jayhawks play host to Iowa State, who's ranked 13th in this week's ECB top 25 poll. It is in Allen Fieldhouse. So we know you just don't go into the fog and walk out victors. But T.J. Olsenberger has done a tremendous job at Iowa State so far. This team is, I put it on our Twitter, Iowa State, tougher than a $2 state because you're going to have to fist fight them to beat them. But I think when it's all said and done, since it's in Fog Allen, I, I just think Kansas is too much. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. I just think they're the best team in the country right now. So I've got them winning this game. Uh, I think Jalen Wilson has a, a big-time performance. This is a game that I could see a guy like uh, K.J. Adams going for a double-double. We'll see what Grady Dick does because Gabe Kalsher is going to be really good for Iowa State. But I think the two guys of Jalen Wilson and K.J. Adams put a show on. I got Kansas pulling away late, like 84-67. Yeah, you know, I wanted to pick Iowa State really bad in this one just to piss Peyton off a little bit too. And and because I really like Iowa State. But – I think defensively, Iowa State can stay in this game, but the two differences, as Josh mentioned, are it's at Allen Fieldhouse, and then you know Kansas is just so much better offensively than Iowa State is. I, I worry a little bit in a tight game at the end on the road if Iowa State has a guy who can go get them a bucket the way Kansas does. So I think Kansas ekes this one out, continues their trend of uh, some close victories over some tough teams, and wins uh, 64 to 58 in a low score. Go ahead, Clay. Man, I would love to piss off Peyton right here. I would do anything I could <laughs> to uh, really upset him, but there's just no way that it makes sense to take uh, take anybody going into Allen Fieldhouse. I think Kansas goes in. Um, I think they, I think they come out uh, with Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick. I think they just have a little bit too much going. Uh, I think uh, Harris is going to run the point for him well. Uh, distribute, and I think Kansas is going to run away with it, 81 to 69. So, wait, you're saying that Kansas got too much dick for him? Oh, yeah, too much. Exactly. Exactly. Just all about just putting the tip in. <laughs> um, real quick, Josh, uh, it's funny. You talked about Texas and how they've been giving up too many points here lately. Yeah, they gave up 116 points to Kansas State in the Moody Center. So, yeah, they definitely yeah, been giving up way too many points here lately. But transition to this game, uh, Kansas wins this game. I think Ohio State's been uh, incredible to start the U off. They've been playing well. What did I say, Ohio? Yeah. 
Eh, close enough. Still a four-letter word. Uh, Iowa State uh, has been playing well to start the year off, especially in the Big Ten. Um, but I think being in Allen Fieldhouse, being in Fog Allen, uh, it's going to be too tough for them over match. Juan Harris, best point guard in the country. I think he's going to be able to drop some dimes, get some steals. Jalen Wilson is going to do what he does best, get some points. And uh, like you mentioned, Josh, I think KJ Adams will be the difference maker. He's going to use his athleticism and uh, ability to um, – won the four, and uh, he played big. He's the one who got that uh, game winner against, uh, I think, Oklahoma State, and then he no, got the game ceiling, yeah. game ceiling bucket against Texas Tech. Yeah, he's been right. playing well ever since that Tennessee loss. Uh, he had a great game against Missouri, um, and he's just kept the, the momentum. I played well against IU, and uh, he's been playing well second half of the year. So, very impressed with how well he's been playing. Kansas wins this game. I think it'd be somewhat close. I think about 77 to 70. And if it is a close game, I'm sure Kansas is probably going to get some lucky call here there, and Josh is going to post about it on Twitter and piss some more Kansas fans off. So hey, I'm sure I, it might happen. Hey, I only say the truth, man. If they don't like it, then that's on them, not us. We only speak what we see, and what we see is a foul. So and hey, we're not biased. We're not biased. You know damn you know, well if it's one of our teams, we call it out. So Yeah, you know, it could be bad, but at least they ain't fucking North, dealing with North Carolina fans. Am I right, Phil? Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, they're they're still the worst. I Matt Norlander, somebody retweeted something about UNC fans this week, and I seen one of them quote tweeted it and said, Oh, so I see you're a douchebag and a hater. And it was literally just like a oh statistic about UNC. So <laughs> so so there's they're still the worst. Wow. Wow. But let, let's rapid fire these next two because they're just, it, it is what it is. Also on Saturday, Wisconsin goes to Indiana. It's in Assembly Hall. I don't know. I, it, a part of me wants to say Indiana holds home court. But they didn't against Northwestern and playing hard consistently in the defense scares me. Corey, this is your team. Let's hear a quick prediction. I think Indiana picks up two wins this year, uh, this week. I think they win at Penn State, and I think they win this one. I think uh, I think it's going to be some tempers flaring and stuff like that because Wisconsin always plays dirty. But I think they pick up the win. Uh, I think it's going to be a eighty-six, uh, eighty-one game. Phil, yeah, I got I got to go with uh, Indiana here too. I think the home court makes the difference. Um, you know, Tyler Wall's been a little banged up for Wisconsin as well, so they may not be at full strength. Um, I take Indiana and, and a tight one here, uh, 72-65. I think Wisconsin's pissed off after fucking getting beat by 10 on the road to Illinois. Um, I think they get the job done. I think Tyler Wall might be back for this game, and if he is, and I think I, Wisconsin wins this game, and a close one. Um, Indiana's guard play. I mean, they haven't since Xavier Johnson went down. They haven't played the best. TJD is going to do what he does, but – I think Wisconsin goes into another semi hall, but this time come out on top uh, in a close one. Wisconsin wins 75 to 73. You guys talked me into it. I was seriously debating because I don't know where Indiana's head's at, but I, I think for this one, they'll get up enough. Assembly Hall is still going to be packed and loud. I think Indiana squeaks one out. They haven't beat Wisconsin in a couple years. So I think Indiana wins probably an ugly one. Uh, 62-59, that sounds about right. Probably some ugly game. And then here's the last one, and 
I think we're all going to take a sweep here, so I'm not going to pose who wins in the score. It's just how bad does Kentucky get beat Saturday in Knoxville? How it's not? I don't think any of us with the right minds going to pick Kentucky to win this. It, the question isn't do they win because I think we're all picking Tennessee. How bad do they get beat by Tennessee in Knoxville? Well. I mentioned earlier the 0-4 and quad, uh, quad 1 uh, opponents by a margin of 16 and a half. So I'll just stick with that fucking spread. I think they're going to lose by 16 points or more. I think the Cats keep it close in this one. You know, Tennessee has a tendency to uh, have games at a time where they just can't get a bucket. And I think that, you know, could come in to bite them in the ass here in SEC play against a rival. So I think Tennessee still wins because overall they're just the better team right now. But it wouldn't surprise me to see the Cats keep this within six. Did you see what they did this last week, though? They, they killed Mississippi State by, like, 30 points. And they went to – and I know South Carolina is dog shit – but they had South Carolina down on the road by 40 freaking points with like 10 minutes to go in the second half. They're, they're not playing with people right now. They're beating the dog shit out of them. And the thing is, they're the number one deficiency efficiency team, according to Ken Bob. Number one. I'm awesome. I'm yeah, going no, they're uh, phenomenal defensively, points. but like I said, they just, they just have that tendency to have games like that Colorado game earlier in the season. Um, even the Kansas game at times, uh, you know, I know they were red hot for a lot of that game, but there were stretches of that game where they couldn't get a bucket either. Um, so that remains my concern for Tennessee. I don't know if you heard, but I'm just going uh, Tennessee win about 22. So I think it's uh, I think they're going to run away with it. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be the same song, different dance, because – Kentucky will keep it close for a minute or get it close for a little bit. And then they're going to go a stretch where they turn the ball over, can't score, force shots up late in the shot clock, try to force feed Oscar. Tennessee's big and they're going to pack the paint and they're playing at home. And I think the game gets out of control early in the second half, like the Alabama game, like Gonzaga and all the others. I think our Tennessee gets up by 25 or more at one point and Kentucky gets some garbage game or garbage buckets late. And I think Tennessee ultimately wins by 18, but this ain't, this ain't going to be fun. This ain't, I mean, this ain't going to be fun. Tennessee is going to use Kentucky as a punching bag. Cause even Kentucky's best teams in the last five, six years go to Knoxville and get beat. Like last year, they beat the show at Tennessee at home. They had a top five team. They go to Knoxville and I know Ty Ty gets hurt and all that. They, they beat the shit out of them. And it, it, there's no reason for me in my mind to think that anything other than that's going to happen. So I say Tennessee ultimately wins by 18, but it's up by 25 or more in this game. Let's go real quick. Um, this week in history, January 9th, 2010, number, or Wisconsin upsets previously unbeaten and number four, Purdue, 73-66. It was Purdue's first 14-0 unbeaten start since 1994 when they had the big dog. Wisconsin was led by Jordan Taylor, who had just gotten the starting lineup, 23 points. Jason Bohanna had 20. This is the Purdue team, if you remember, that had Robbie Hummel. They had each one more. Jawan Johnson, the great Purdue team that should have went to the Final Four that year had Robbie Hummel not got hurt. Um, let's go. Also, team of the week this week, Phil. We got to go with Kansas State, right? I mean – 
two huge Big 12 wins, three dating back, you know, to a week ago against West Virginia as well. Um, Kansas State climbing into our rankings uh, up to number, I believe it was 12. Was it 12? Yep, number 12 in the ECB uh, poll this week. Yep. Um, yep. So, and uh, Marquise Noel has just been absolutely going Phenomenal. off in oh Big my. 12 play. I think he's averaging like 30 a game or something so far in Big 12 play. So. Yeah, he's went nuts. Tremendous. And uh, mid-major team of the week this week is Florida Atlantic. They are borderline top 25. They are right there on, I think, just about every major poll getting votes at least. They are, what, 14-1 and one on the year I right now? I voted for Yeah, they're like 14-1, and 15-1, and one, something like that. Doing a tremendous job. 14-1, uh, and one, yeah, 38th in Ken Palm right now. It shows you how well they're doing. So that is our team of the week and mid-major team yep. of the week. Let's move, let's move on to shout-outs. I'll do mine rapid-fire real quick. Um, I, I'm just going to shout-out new head coaches this year. Specifically, Jerome Tang at Kansas State and Dennis Gates at Missouri. Kansas State's 14-1 and in Jerome Tang's first coaching job as a head coach at Kansas State. And Dennis Gates is 13-2 and at Missouri. Both tremendous. They're a combined 27-3 and in their first year at their respective schools. Just outstanding. Great job. Shout out to the new head coaches. Jalen hood Shafino, even in the loss, 20, or sorry, 33 points against Northwestern. We talked about his 21 at, um, at Iowa. The kid is an underrated freshman right now. We talked a lot about Brandon Miller and Grady Dick and the likes. Jalen hood Shafino is doing all he can for this Indiana team. Scoring the basketball better than what we thought, specifically shooting a three ball better than we ever anticipated. He's doing all he can. There's just not a lot of help from him right now. And then my other one, staying in the Big Ten, shout out Northwestern, 12-3, and three, tied for second in the Big Ten at 3-1 and one right now in the conference. Big wins at Michigan State, at Indiana, you know, beating Illinois. Northwestern's, as we sit here on January 9th, is an NCAA tournament team. Who wants to go next? Just go ahead, go, Peyton. Ah, fuck it. I guess I'll go myself. Three shout-outs this week. Two college basketball, one not. But I'll go ahead and start with the one not. Uh, Shout-out to everyone who has helped played and um, really helped DeMar Hamlin. Uh, scary situation on Monday Night Football. Um, playing the Bengals, he made a tackle and took a step, and then he just fell backwards and collapsed. And I don't know exactly exactly what happened or why he collapsed or whatever, but he had to receive CPR for 15 minutes. And uh, the game got canceled, the game got postponed, or just canceled anyways, and I'm not going to make that up. And um, just a scary situation, and uh, everybody was just playing for him. Um, shout out to, uh, I forgot what his name is, Scott Van Pelt, I think that's his name, and... Um, yeah. Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark, they did an amazing job on uh, ESPN Sports Center talking about it, keeping everybody updated with everything that's happened. And uh, it just got broken news just about, I think about an hour ago, that he's finally discharged from the hospital. So hopefully he makes a full recovery. Um, very scary situation. Um, so hopefully he makes a full yeah. recovery. And next shout-out goes to, go back to college basketball side, Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett, he they end up winning seventy three to sixty six uh, with a win over Syracuse, 
but it was bigger than just a regular season Saturday victory for Virginia. Because uh, Tony Bennett has officially passed Terry Holland to become the program's all-time leader in wins, in career wins. Uh, he's at 327 wins. And um, they, you know, the fact that he did this in, what, like 10 years, 8 years, something like that, he's already got, he's already been the all-time uh, wins leader for Virginia, and that short of a time frame was just remarkable. He's one of the best coaches in college basketball. As much as I don't like playing them every fucking year, twice a year, uh, I have a lot of respect for him and what he's done for the program, and uh, incredible coach. Shout out to him. Last shout out. Probably my most special shout out of the year so far. Shout out to none other than Corey Gardner. He has finally showed up, folks, after Indiana not losing just one game this week, but they lost two. When he showed up in the early one in the show, I was very surprised. Go back and watch my reaction. I was shocked. I felt like watching The Undertaker losing his undefeated streak at WrestleMania 30. And that guy in the front row had his eyes that big wide. That was me early on the show. Corey, it takes big balls to come on the show after your team gets embarrassed not once, but twice this week. So, shout out to you, my friend, and welcome back on the show. Round of applause for Corey, everyone. <laughs> Phil, let's hear your shout outs. <laughs> Got to shout out the uh, NC State Wolfpack this week for that big home win against Duke. I believe uh, it's their biggest win against Duke since like 1970, something along those lines. But, uh, also got a shout out Jarkel Joyner transferred in from Ole Miss. Um, you know, he's an Oxford kid, so it's probably tough for him leaving Ole Miss, but he's been a, a huge difference maker for state. In this game, he had 21 points, nine assists, nine assists, and six boards. Um, Turquavion Smith also had, added 24 points. So just a shout out to the NC State backcourt. Yeah, they put a whooping on Duke. Put a whooping on him. Corey. I'll follow mine up. Uh, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but shout out to Washington State uh, getting their first ever win over a top five program in 122 years of being a basketball program. Uh, a huge win for that. And you already mentioned it, but Jalen Hood and uh, Safino uh, coming in with his uh, 33 points on uh, Saturday, even in the loss. And then, uh, like I said, you know, glad to be back. Uh, thank you, Peyton, for the shout out and, you know, being one of, my, one of your key three. So. <laughs> Well, we kind of did this backwards. Let's finish the show real quick here on Bank on It. Paint, pull that graphic up. Get that beautiful thing up. Current standings, I'm three and six. Both Peyton and Phil are two and nine. And we still, because Corey's so sporadic, we don't remember what he is right now. So, Phil, you I'm in first place. We'll just go with that. Yeah, you're in first. Uh, Phil, you, you split yours since you've been doubling down trying to make a rally here. You did get one right last week. So, let's start with you, sir. Bank on it. Bank on it. Duke gets a big home win Wednesday night against the, you know, second place in the ACC Pitt Panthers. What What are you laughing at? Finish up and I'll go next. <laughs> go ahead and finish up. Um, and I, I think I think I'm just going to stick with that one for now because now I want to hear yours. Uh, I swear, folks, we didn't converse on these. We, we do them separate. Bank on it. Wednesday night, Pittsburgh beats Duke on the road in Cameron Indoor. <laughs> That's why I started laughing. <laughs> we got dueling fucking bank on it. <laughs> Jesus, man. Well, well, either way, I will be there in person Wednesday night to uh, to watch our, one of our bank on it's come true. Yeah, it's the Jeff Capel <laughs> yeah. revenge right there, buddy. Yeah. My bank on it is, I, can, I kind of talked about it earlier, but I'm kind of going to double down on it and do a little bit something different. Um, 
Alabama goes into Arkansas and put a whooping on the Razorbacks. Alabama knocks off Arkansas, and they win by 13 points or more. Bank on it. Corey? Corey? You still here? Uh, no. Corey? Corey! Oh, you sucks. That didn't work, shit. Well, what looks like we lost, Phil. Corey's on mute. I think this is a good time as any to go ahead and wrap up episode 129 of the podcast. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Next week, we will be joined by a couple special guests. We will reveal them as the week goes on once we make sure we got everything completely locked down. One of them will be Jonathan Warner. I, got, I know I got spoiled it there, but Jonathan Warner of uh, makingthemadness.com, talking some bracketology, excited for him. And we got a lot of good stuff coming at you for epi- the big episode 130. And until next week, keep an eye and see if Clemson's still unbeaten and leading the ACC. But until episode 130 next week, we hope you guys enjoy the college basketball this week. Stay safe, and we will catch you down the road.